Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, the very special edition of the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. The Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is two blokes who have known each other forever, who catch up most days in the Melbourne CBD to talk everything Essendon Football Club. With me is Scott. Hello everyone, this is a, uh, a podcast I've been looking forward to all week. On the line from Los Angeles, we have Sam Vecini. How are you going, Sam? I'm going good. I mean, it's, it's a podcast I've been looking forward to all week. I've been listening to AFL Trade Radio, so that's where that's where I'm getting my news. So I, uh, I need someone to bounce things off of now, nice. uh, now that I've listened to all of the <laughs> AFL talk. Now, look, just before we start on Essendon, a little bit of your background. I know you're more uh, basketball orientated, but I have been listening to your Game Theory podcast which is fantastic. And actually, out of that podcast, I've got a question later on uh, that I'm going to challenge you on. Uh, but we'll do that. That's more basketball coverage. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself, just so the listeners understand you and also how you came about being an Essendon fan? So, yeah, no, I'm a basketball journalist here in America. I'm a senior writer for The Athletic. I cover the NBA draft and basically young players in the NBA uh, and a lot of other general NBA stuff. But uh, how I came to be an Essendon supporter is that my now wife, we've been together for almost six years now, uh, she grew up in Melbourne and is a lifelong Essendon supporter. Like, has been, uh, she was, I think, there for the 2000 grand final. Like, she, she has been there for every single big event until uh she moved to los angeles in 2013 so uh yeah it's it just rubbed off and came down onto me when we started dating clearly i can see why she was very attractive that's there's nothing more attractive <laughs> than an australian woman that barracks for essendon great no i'm i'm very uh very much in agreement on that grant <laughs> so that's an interesting timeline sam so Am I right in saying you pretty much started looking at Essendon almost right when the saga hit? So, uh, Laura and I started dating in 2014, so it was right after that. Um, so, still going through the remnants of the decision. Uh, and then, obviously, the year-long suspension of the players. And, uh, you know, I missed, I would say, the bad part of the media coverage and I, there are some things that like I still don't quite understand like so that I don't understand it but like it's just like different in America in terms of the way things are covered so like there are aspects of it that like I'm hazy on you yeah. know what I mean but because uh, I didn't live through it but you know now I'm at a stage where I watch as much AFL as any other sport outside of basketball really now knowing uh, your partner did you get a sense of the gravity of the name James Hood when you started to go through the 2014 kind of experience and understand how big this was for the football club Oh, the the first thing that she showed me was the clip of James Hurd highlighting or uh, high fiving the fan uh, after uh, was it the goal against Hawthorne? Uh, West Coast, West Coast, yeah. Um, like the very West Coast, yeah. Um, like the very very famous one, 
And, uh, you know, she immediately explained to me the gravity of uh, the situation and uh, just how uh, crazy it is that this is happening with such a legend of not just Essendon, but also just in general of Australian football. So let's let's I guess move forward to 2018 and 19. Uh, we've probably had similar years in a sense of a slow start to the year, then a, a I guess an influx of a momentum in the second half. How are you reading the Essendon Football Club? Because uh, most fans here are finding the inconsistency uh, frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, so you guys do tend to be like a pretty positive podcast, um, you know, on the club, and it's great. I, I love it. It makes me happy to just, you know, sit down every week and listen to you guys. I tend to be a, just a little bit more, uh, I question the direction yeah. a little bit more, uh, just in terms of what's happening uh the decision to essentially try to go all in to win a premiership with the playing group that we have um over the course of the last two years trading future picks obviously trading multiple first round picks for dylan Cheel, uh trading quite a few draft picks for devin smith and jake stringer and adam sod i think that all three of those deals you know worked out in terms of value but uh I do. Part of me is concerned that we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit, just because I think there are some holes on the roster that concern me. And then, um, just in general, I think that this trade period has also led to some. I don't want to say culture concerns, but just concerns about the club's direction. I guess. Uh, you, you know, I mentioned to you guys that I'm just so excited that Fantasia's staying because. He has been, if he's not my favorite player, he's certainly been up there uh, the entire time that I've been watching Essendon. Just, I love the way he plays. I love that his energy is infectious. I love that he's the first person to celebrate with his teammates. But it's concerning that someone in the leadership group, such as Fantasia, would consider leaving. And obviously that Danaher, another person in the leadership group, has uh, requested to leave. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't want to say I'm not excited about the future, but I am. There, there are like concerns creeping in, you know. Mate, you, <clears throat> excuse me. You, you sound again exactly like me and Scott in that. Yeah, you're right. We are a bit. We try to put a positive slant on the club because the club and the game of footy um, for Scott and I and and most Essendon fans is something we absolutely look forward to every week. So we we try to concentrate on the positive aspects of it because if we got too depressed to think that. <laughs> Wusher as a coach hasn't worked or um, we've got aging players in the back line that we've got to replace or like you said we've traded away some first round picks and stuff it could get a little depressing but I don't know if you've ever heard um, we'll have to figure out what episode it is but did have you listened to Scott's I'm really depressed <laughs> alone in a in a dark room podcast <laughs> I'm sure I did but like it's not like coming up off the top of my head but like <laughs> Like there, there are those moments though. Like the beginning of the year, I was like miserable just because, like this is probably like it's this team, and then like I'm from Pittsburgh originally, so like the Pittsburgh Penguins are like the two teams like I root for like pretty hardcore, and it, it was like it was depressing just watching the team come out and lay egg after egg to start the season, and 
just looked totally unprepared to start the year for the second season in a row. That was that was uh, that's definitely where my podcasts went to look I, I i can call it as it is i i feel like i i have this optimism and then suddenly i just hit this wall yeah and, and i go scott and i are friends and i kind of thing. like all right enough is enough let's let's talk openly because and i and i i, I i'm of the same view I, I think no matter what happens and even if joe danaha remains there's still a second element to this where internally there has to be some conversations about how we're getting to this point. Um, uh, one of my big complaints was that I felt like that when the club was in, in quite a bit of debt, you know, it was around about sixteen, eighteen million dollars of debt, which in Australian sports that's quite a lot. Uh, that yeah. that money was taken probably out of the football department. So you you suddenly were running the football department with ex VFL coaches as assistants and and, and there wasn't the kind of that expertise in in areas that were surrounding the guys that I felt has come back to kind of haunt the club a bit and I think only now that the club is getting stable financially again you're starting to see uh, the Blake Carousella announcement, you know, the the Ben Rutten mm-hmm. coming over, the the new fitness guy coming over from Hawthorne. You're only now seeing a club that I hoped was going to, it was kind of six to ten years ago to have that kind of expertise surrounding the guys to give them every chance to succeed. Well, and it's hard too because, you know, like one conversation that like, for instance, I've had with, people who work in list management like across the AFL is like, you know, Adrian Dodoro has been there for 15 years, right? Like at least, especially in American sport, but also, you know, even in Australian sport, like think about how does a guy that has been at a club for 15 years and not won a single final keep his job? Well, I, like, honestly, I do think that in many ways there are extenuating circumstances circumstances the drug scandal comes down um as that's happening they're eight and one to start a season uh they're sitting in second place in the 2013 season in week 17 and then go on the losing streak after everything comes down like that i think is really hard to recover from and even just from like a team building perspective i think it's really really difficult to just arrest that momentum and then try and build it back up right but we are now getting to the point where it's not any of this stuff where like, yeah. Oh, Doro's tough to deal with and he's not uh, someone that other teams enjoy. And he's, you know, he's an asshole and all that stuff. Right. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. care about any of that stuff. Like, I think it's all kind of ridiculous that this is a narrative it, it, like in the media, but it's the same token. I'm just more worried about the fact that they don't win. You know, like yeah. I think that that's the conversation to have. I I, I totally agree, and 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 though I've, people have argued with me, I mean, you for me, like you can't have three years in a row of just having twelve wins, and that's it. You you've got to show some growth. You've got to you've got to look at what we're doing wrong, and 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 I'll, I'll look. I'll I'll give you a, a real football question and see how see 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 if you uh <laughs> can, can can answer this now. A lot of the narrative I find is that Essendon needs an inside ball. We need a big inside ball. Now, if you actually look at the data... Midfielder. Don't, which don't is just it, say ball. Sorry, just inside ball may mean... As you a know, midfielder, yeah. A, a Patrick Cripps, an inside yeah. clearance... Right. Yeah, yeah. Strong over That's the... why the Sam Powell-Pepper, you know, rumors... It, yeah, exactly. Right. Now, 
Yeah. It's interesting. I, I kind of challenge that a bit, and I'll get your opinion on this as well. Because when you look at the data, when Tom Bell Chambers is just playing, our clearances and our contested ball is actually quite good. So it, when we have a proper ruckman, and I think we've even, you know, with, with a guy called Draper coming through, he may even improve that even more. But when we get the ball, we butcher it. Well, basically, we, we turn it over. And I, I kind of challenge that argument about, do we actually need some class and some guys to use the ball more than actually a, a big-bodied midfielder? Because I find that we get the ball a lot, but we're just turning it over. Yeah, no, I actually agree with you on that. I think ball use is our biggest issue. Um, like Dylan Scheel, for instance, this year, he, he was at like 61, 62% in terms of disposal efficiency. If you go back and look at his numbers at GWS, they were up at 67, 68, 69. Like he's pretty clearly below average this year in terms of champion data. And then you go and look at what he was in the past. And it was like average. I mean, he's always been a guy that is like a meters gainer versus someone that's going to always like be at 75% disposal efficiency. But that drop is concerning to me. Like, Going back and looking at like Dyson Heppel's, you know, best All Australian year, right? This is a guy that used the ball well. Uh, Zach Merritt has shown the ability to use the ball well. To me, I, I don't think we have dumb players. Like I can't really emphasize that enough. Like I, I don't think it's the fact that the players aren't capable of hitting targets. They've shown that like a little bit of that, but I think it's more that the coaching staff and the plan is not quite right in terms of X's and O's on the field. Uh, it is a bit too focused on gaining meters versus trying to hit targets, basically. Now, I, I think you, you're 100% right there, Sam, and I reckon maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago in the AFL, there was some really big dominant forwards, right? Like the the the... The methodology for your club was to grab a, a huge, hulking, great big full forward, right? Tommy Hawkins, Buddy, yeah. Buddy Franklin, all those guys, right? And it, the the narrative was, don't allow the back line to set up and get your one-on-one enormous monster forward with the, the backman. 95% of the time, they're going to outbody him and win, right? So there was a lot of clubs. Geelong did it reasonably well because they had Hawkins and a couple other big monsters down there. Um, and it was the methodology was for the midfield to get the ball, take two or three quick steps, and just hammer it into the forward line. That repeat entry into the forward line was going to mean that the, the backmen were going to lose 70 times out of 100, um, and th- that was the, the move it forward at all costs. I think Essendon does the same thing, and that's where we butcher the ball. I, I, I scream at the club every time I see somebody running through the middle and dropping the ball 40-odd metres onto the head of Anthony McDonald Tippenwoody. Like, he's yeah. he's four foot nothing, <laughs> and he's built for the ball hitting the deck and roving and that sort of stuff, but they keep dropping it in there. I just think, you, I, I really, that's the one area I am really critical of the coaching for and where I'm sincerely hoping that Blake Carousella is going to help us with it because we just... Dylan Shield is taught, and I, I believe he is told, to turn, put the afterburners on like he can, take his five or six quick steps, and then just bomb it into the to the forward line. Now, that'd be great if we had 
monster forwards down there that could take one-on-one grabs, but we just don't have them at the moment. We don't have Joey D, and even Joey D's a lead-up footballer, right? So I think that's where we where the, the murdering of the ball is what's going into our forward line, which is not resulting in putting our forwards into the best position, which is not turning into goals. Yeah, I think that when I watch Essendon and other, you know, you're 100% right on the inside 50 stuff. That's what bothers me the most is it seems like we almost never have our forwards take a lead running toward the ball and trying <laughs> exactly. to, it's, it's yeah. always going, you know, we're always going to try and get it 25 meters and in as opposed to trying to kick the ball to a forward in the 25 to 40 meters away from the goal area by that forward taking a lead and taking one on the chest. Right. And I I think that part of that is just movement in terms of the forward line, right? Like I just don't think that the forward line uh, is taught to move that way is told to move that way. Uh, And thus I think that then the midfielders are told, you know, don't bring your eyes down toward that 25 to 40 meter line keep them up and keep them long toward the inside 25 meters uh, and, you know, closest to the goal. It's, it's really frustrating. You watch teams, you know, like Richmond does this really well. They do a great job of hitting guys like Castenia in that like little in between dead zone. Right. Um, you know, you can watch a, like West coast plays a lot similarly to Essendon, I guess, in terms of they like to bomb it deep, but yep. West Coast also has Jack Darling and Josh Kennedy, right? So yep. you can't you can't do that if you're Essendon. So uh, I, I would just like to hope that Blake Carousella is going to come in and uh, improve the movement throughout the forward 50 and improve the movement uh, of the midfielders in terms of being able to put their eyes down and find that guy uh, just in that dead zone of the defense. Look, I actually always wondered if Essendon would ever consider a different approach for their forward setup, because I always found when Collingwood simply just didn't have many tools. They had my check, um, and on the odd occasion, uh, Reed, but uh, and and Cox has been a bit injured this year. But when they just went with midfielders and and small guys, it does force your midfielders to just naturally lower their eyes. But it should. That's, yeah, I think that's what you're, that it should force them. But yeah. I don't think it is for it us. It doesn't for us, but yeah. I always wonder with the whole talk about the Joe Danahar trade and we, we've got to get uh, tall forwards in. Uh, uh, some Half of me is like, I understand it, and half of me is like, I don't want us to just fall for the trap, though, of just putting a tall guy in our forward line when we can't play a system that uh, embraces that guy's... Uh, you know attributes and, and what he can do, and and Joe Danahar is a classic example. When he is fit, he he he's got for a guy his size, he's got great hands, great speed, but he's never been a body on body kind of contested mark, strong, and, and that's but that's kind of how we've been playing him a lot of the time. And, and one thing I'd, I'm hoping the Rutten Carousella kind of view of the world is what's everyone's strengths as a player. Let's let's now look at our list uh, a little bit. What Richmond did in the last five years. Let's understand our list um, in great detail and find out what's our strengths and how can we get those strengths to come out on a consistent basis. And you know that reason, uh, you know that you just brought up about the way that Essendon has played Danaher is why I'm like, 
kind of terrified about trading him to Sydney and seeing him just like totally explode yeah. because we've watched the way that they've played Buddy. They let Buddy just kind of roam all over the field. They let him come up and play like they're not going to have him in the midfield, but like they'll let him come up and, you know, take a mark at the you know center square basically and then try and run toward the goal. Right. Yeah. Uh, Buddy is just so exceptional at going out on that lead. And uh, despite the fact that, you know, he can body as well as anyone, but he's also great at going out and taking the lead. I imagine yeah. they're going to play Danaher in the same way. And I mean, that's just tailor made for Joe to kick like 70 goals one year, uh, just doing that for Sydney. I'm actually interested in your thoughts, Sam. You've obviously been listening to um, uh, Trade Radio. As a person that comes, I guess, from a culture where trading uh, free agency is so massive and so experienced, uh, so well developed, uh, do you kind of, kind of, I don't know what the word is. Do you still find that the AFL is quite amateurish in how they handle um, this trade period and, and free agents? How do you find it from afar? Uh, I don't know if amateurish is the right word. I think it's different. It took me, you know, three or four years to like really wrap my head around like how this whole thing works. Um, now that I get it, I do think that it is like there there are holes that you could exploit like there are ways that you can find talent like I think it's like kind of crazy it's turned into the wild wild west it seems now like where uh you know if I was Essendon right now I'd be going up to uh just about every key forward in the competition that has one year left on their contract saying like hey we'll guarantee you four years um you know on a more than you're making right now come play for us and see if which one of them accepts it right because like that just seems like what's happening now and maybe maybe that just comes from the outside but like if i was if i was you know adrian dodora i'd be going up to just about everyone around the competition that i was interested in and had one year left that may be like sort of on the outs of their team like i have a few names but like it's it's just it's different and i think that there are ways to just like with the American system, there are ways to uh, exploit it and there are ways to handle it poorly. So uh, you mentioned you had a few names. Have you got any uh, any preferred forwards that we should be talking to? So, yeah, I think they like Josh Jenkins makes a lot of sense, right? Because it would be cheap. Uh, you would assume Adelaide would pay some of the salary. They certainly just want to get him off the list, it seems like, yeah. from all reports. Um, I'm surprised that like Charlie Dixon hasn't come up more. I know that he was hurt, like, at the end of 2018, didn't have a great 2019, but, you know, another guy that has one year left, a little bit older, so you would think that he might be able to fit into the timeline that the club is going for. Yeah. And then the the last guy that, like, I find really interesting is the Western Bulldogs are trying to bring in Josh Bruce, obviously. Uh, Aaron Naughton has established himself as a key forward for the future for them. They have a bunch of other talls. They're going to play Marcus Bontempelli as a key forward pretty regularly, um, just you know throughout stretches of games, right? So Josh Shackey has a year left on his contract. I know he just got there, but like that's a 22-year-old that's kicked 20 goals a couple of times in his career. Like it seems like, given the fact that Naughton stepped up this year and they're trying to chase Bruce, that that could be a guy that is potentially gettable to me. Like why? Maybe he's not. Like maybe this has been raised already. But like that—that's like an intriguing younger name to me. 
Sam, you're blowing us away, mate. Seriously. <laughs> you are blowing us away with your knowledge of the, of the AFL here. Like, Aaron Norton and Josh Shackey are not two names that you would figure somebody from the States would know about, and let alone whether or not we could get him and how many goals he kicked last year. Mate, we're, we're seriously impressed sitting over here, we must say. I mean, like, seriously, like, I watch a lot of Australian... Like, there was a time... Last, this year, I did not watch maybe more than, like, a couple games a week, including Essendon. Like, three years ago, I, I was watching probably, like, four games a week, like, something like that. Wow. Half the games in the competition a week. Like, we have the... Like, what is the version of League Pass? It's watch AFL, yeah. right? The, yeah. Yeah, like, we have that. So, I have access to every game. So, you know, if I'm not doing anything on a Saturday, like just pull it up and watch a game, right? <laughs> tell, tell me what you think of this trade idea, Sam. And it is a little bit left field and probably a few listeners are going to go, Scott, you're on, you're on something. But if you felt like in the Joe Danaher this year, you're going to get maybe, say, picks five and, and nine might be a stretch, but say around the 15 or 20 mark for a second pick. Um, if this... so I, I will say before you do this, I don't agree that nine is a stretch. But continue. no, yeah, I, I guess I'm more talking about uh, I guess Sydney's uh, current response, <laughs> and more than what I think. Yeah. I, I think five and nine is dead on the mark. But uh, but at the moment, I think they're uh, not not in agreement. I guess no, you they're, would they're call it distance apart. Yeah. But say say you got pick five, well, pick five, and a, and a and a and a quality second pick. You've you've. You've got Josh Jenkins maybe as a one-year filler, as a possibility. So you kind of identify that, okay, this year, there's just no big forward that's available, so we'll go we'll go the following year. So then what can we do to get talent into the side? Could you disrupt uh, the Brad Hill situation with St Kilda and actually go, hey, we've got pick five, we've got a secondary good pick that actually... Uh, now that St Kilda's obviously thrown a curveball and, and they've traded their pick six, basically saying, Frio, you're taking too long. Um, I still think there's a need for class in our midfield and Brad Hill oozes that. And I just wonder, do you actually go for the short term? Look, we may get a Josh Jenkins and a, and a few others just to, could now that Fantasia is, is, is continuing on, to, to help us score, but we actually now will address quality that we are still lacking in an area of the ground so what to pick help our forwards. What pick? Well, Frio rejected pick six and I think a, a second or third round pick. So we would have to... So say we get pick five from Sydney and yeah. then a second round pick. I think we could at least tempt Frio. Um, now, obviously, it means talking to Brad Hill and everything like that. Everything, yeah. But uh, it's just a... It's a, it's a left field one, but it also does answer what I think a shortage of Essendon, which is a guy coming from the wing or the midfield with genuine skill to deliver the ball. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree in terms of that need for sure. I think that that's one thing that um, was severely lacking at Essendon this year was just the wing play in general. The guys that we tended to play on the wing aren't guys that, are used to doing so and i think came inside too often right yeah. uh you know a wing's responsibility is a guy that just keeps the width of the park and allows 
uh, teams to or forces teams to guard wide, right? Uh, I think that when you saw good teams cause problems for Essendon, it was because they essentially just bunched up the center of the park and made it so that guys like Adam Saad and Connor McKenna couldn't run off of halfback, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I totally agree with you that wing is like a huge need. And I mean, like, do I think that I would move pick five for Brad Hill? Mm, I don't know that I would. would I. No, I don't think honest. so. Um, but the, it's funny, like the guy that I would have chased hard if I was Essendon was Ed Lang or Ed Langdon, right? Yeah. Um, this is a guy that finished fourth and fifth in uh, Frio's best and fairest the last two years. He got dealt for a second round pick, essentially, like the equivalent of a second round pick whenever all the picks are said and done. Like that, that is a cheap player that is an excellent wing player that I think is exactly what Essendon should be looking to acquire at a cost because the other part of this is that you don't want to throw too many assets at an issue that is potentially fixed internally. Right. Because like Devin Smith plays on the wing and without Devin Smith this year, uh, I think that that was obviously an issue. Devin Smith also has the problem of like to come inside, but nonetheless, like that is a problem that could fix itself. I think Zara Rockets actually did like a pretty reasonable job on the wing. there, And it could be fixed internally. So I don't know that I would want to throw all of my assets at that as opposed to like fixing the problem uh, of, you know, getting another tall, maybe getting, maybe it's not necessarily like an inside ball winner, but it would be a guy that I would feel more confident pushing inside if an injury befell Essendon. Right. Now, one, one quick question. Let's take it down into the back line. Um, the enigma that is Aaron Francis. How do you see, because Scotty and I are sort of looking at the moment, our back line this year at, at, for periods of time, good periods of time, we're restricting opposition clubs to like 67 or 76 points or whatever it was, which is, which is very good. They were performing well. Hooker was doing his job. Hurley, um, Redman. Connor, Redman, um, Adam Sard and all those kind of guys. I wanted to get your opinion on um, two players in, speci- in particular, Aaron Francis and Paddy Ambrose, because there are two spots, in my opinion, left sort of semi-open that aren't automatic selections in the back line, and they're Paddy Ambrose and Marty Gleason's roles, right? So Paddy Ambrose and Marty Gleason's in that role. Where does Aaron Francis fit in? So I, I would come back at you. I think Paddy Ambrose is like an auto-selection. Okay. At this stage. Like, I, I want, I honestly want Patty Ambrose, like, in the leadership group next year. He was a stud this year. That guy was, he was one of the best one-on-one defenders in the competition. Yeah, he fell off a little bit late as compared said. to his start of the year. But he's also a guy that, as we saw against Frio in the second to last round of the uh, home and away season, that you can throw on someone like a Nat Fife, like one of these bigger midfielders who's going to push forward occasionally, you know, someone like a Marcus Bontempelli, theoretically, if you wanted to, and he can go and stop that guy from impacting the game in the way that he typically does. Like, I think Nat Fife still had like 26 possessions in that game or something. But yeah. like, it, for me, like Patty Ambrose is someone that I'm like auto selecting almost every time. I, I think he had a much better year than Kale Hooker, to be honest. Okay. Um, oh, you definitely, like, definitely. He was our best defender. Um, 
Yeah, like I, I, to me, it's like an, <laughs> it's just auto selection. Now, like Marty Gleason, the thing about Marty Gleason is he does tend to use the ball pretty well, um, which is something that, like for instance, Scott and I just talked about. We need guys who use the ball well. Um, I don't know that I would select Marty Gleason at the, uh, you know, instead of selecting Aaron Francis, just because I think we need to get as many games into Francis as possible and continue to develop him. But, you know, like I, I would say that Aaron Francis is someone that I would try and have on the field most games because I also feel like while there are holes at times, he does tend to use the ball pretty well uh, despite like the occasional shank. So if he's, is he a forward or a back? I mean, we're crying out for a Aaron, forward. Aaron Francis? Yeah. I think he's a bat. I think he's definitely a defender. And I think he's the guy that you have takeover from Kale Hooker, uh, like in a year, whenever Hooker is. Like, I understand that Hooker has more years than that on his contract. But I, I mean, I, I love Kale Hooker, but like, I think that this year threw up some warning signs. We'll say. Yeah. Just in terms yeah. of his athleticism and yeah, ability to step. be able to stick for him. Yeah. It's funny I, when I had a when I had a chat to Aaron, um, I was actually asking about his future kind of goals. Uh, it was quite interesting because he he definitely prefers his role in defence. He, he let me know. He said, but in reality, he he if he can get two or three really big preseason and get his fitness base up, and that's his next goal. He does want to if the club allows him to. Uh, have a go at the at the midfield. That's actually his end goal. Now that might be it'll be an interesting one, but it's interesting to, to hear that from him that he feels like he could be a, a big bodied, strong midfielder uh, once he gets his fitness space up in the next two or three years. Mm-hmm. But that's that's always been like the projection draft wise with him, right? Like, wasn't he like compared to Brendan Goddard and guys like that whenever he was coming up through the draft? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he can play any position on the field. That that was, I mean, the, the TAC highlights right. of Brendan was him bursting through people through, like he was a was a man playing against kids in the TAC and he was bursting through the centre and, and playing literally everywhere, giving people huge fend-offs and all sorts of stuff. So he's, he's also been slightly injured and I'd... Scotty and I, I mean, Scotty's been real close to him and I've, we've seen him at training and stuff and he's a massive lump of a kid. He's He's got these huge thighs and massive hips and I think he's just getting used to AFL. His body's got to get used to AFL, um, uh, repetitive playing of AFL. But I, I can see him in the midfield. He's not going to outrun Dylan Schill um, or Adam Sard or anything, but... He's going to be that really big uh, rear end and set of hips um, that you're going to have to get around or through to get to the ball. I, I, I'd look forward to him um, going and doing some some stringer minutes um, in the middle. The guy, the the big bullish kind of person in the middle, getting the ball and I don't know, just getting an outlet handball or a quick kick. Yeah, no, I, I'm intrigued by that for sure. Like, I, I want to see him. I, I think that you probably have to play him in the back. For now just because he's still like you said needs to get his tank up but like I'm intrigued by that possibility uh, you know if he has a really great offseason you know going into the 2021 season seems seems like a great plan to me you know yeah. I, I just 
for now, like I do just still see him as that guy who should be uh, an elite level defender who can take an incredible mark. But like, I guess like the question is, do you want to limit him to that? Or do you want to, to like, just like the shutdown defender? Do you want him to try and push up the ground? It it really is. It's almost like a development conundrum for Essendon as much as it is a development conundrum for him, right? Like what reps do you want him to get on the field? Yeah. 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 And, and he's a player that likes a bit of free reign. Uh, He, 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 he would, he will tell you that, one of his greatest strengths is he can read the ball, like he can read where it's going to go. And and sometimes he, he likes to have permission to leave his opponent to, because uh, he feels like he's going to get to the ball first if he if he can if his IQ can can understand where the ball is going to go. So that's that's kind of his nature. He doesn't like total lockdown. He likes he likes to have a half shutdown role, but half being able to float across. The, the back line because he feels like he, he can read it well. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the role that we're kind of talking about then is, you know, almost like a, I don't even want to say like a half Like it is just like a weird, it's a hard, it's like it's a weird fit that you almost have to scheme for on its own, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I 100% agree. Now, one, one last sort of, uh, I mean, we, we could talk to you forever, mate, but we want to have a bit of a chat about the NBA as well. But one last question. The, since I can't remember the last time Essendon got a number one draft pick, um, apart from, oh, hello, <laughs> apart from Andy McGrath, um, we got Andy McGrath. And where do you see Andy's development now compared to the likes of Taranto and... Um, McCluggage and uh, the other little um, forward pocket that they got up in Brisbane as well. I know Taranto just won um, GWS's best and fairest. Do you reckon we got the? Do you reckon we picked the right guy there? You know what? Like, yeah, I've looked into like past hit rates uh, in the AFL draft, right? Like, you basically want to get a guy that at number one you think is going to be a star. Like, I, I don't know that I really care that. Tim Taranto just won their best and fairest because Jeremy Cameron missed a couple of games and Toby Green missed a couple of games and Lockie Whitfield missed a couple of games and Canelio missed their last seven games, right? Like, that's just not – I don't really care about that. Like, Hugh McCluggage looks incredible. I, I kind of don't care. When I look at Andy McGraw, like, I see the guy who is potentially the future captain of the club, the guy yeah. that just dropped a 30-disposal game in the final and was the only guy that showed up really – uh, against West Coast, like, yeah, I'm I'm not real worried about McGraw. I think he's awesome. I assume at some point we're going to move him into a midfield role, and he's going to perform there because he's a magnet for the ball. He has great speed. He's one of our, uh, I would imagine, statistically most efficient disposal users. I haven't seen the numbers on it, but like, yeah, he's just a super smart footballer. I'm not I'm not real worried about that, Matt. I, I think you've just answered that absolutely perfectly. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, I have one more football question for you guys. Just because, Go for it. Like, like I told you earlier, like I'm a huge Fantasia fan, obviously. Yep. So, like, I'm ecstatic that he's staying. I mean, like, what what do we think the feeling is like coming back to a club after this? And like, also, I'll I'll save my second part of the question for later because I have I have a real issue with the way that the Fantasia thing was covered in general, like from the media perspective. But like, before we get to that, like, I, I guess that my question for you guys would be like, how do you see him fitting back into the club after this very public dalliance with Port Adelaide? Look, 
I'll do that on several points. Him coming back to the club as far as players and everything like that, that will be... I have no concern whatsoever. I mean, you, you've got the captain having... Meeting him at a cafe, you know, and you sense he's encouraging him to come back. Uh, I, I, he's well liked by the players. Uh, I, I think, I think that's part of it's fine. Look, I, I did sense Dodoro had a touch of frustration, if I'm being honest, uh, with how this all played out because it felt like, um, it felt like the club just thought he was coming back. And there was just natural doubt by this circus that happened. Um, and, and I'm not really sure what the, the premise of it is. I, I, I Look, I, I, I do understand Fantasia's partners um, in, in Adelaide. So I, I get the where, I guess, some media and writers can see the angle and, and what's happening. And, and, and I've no doubt that Fantasia, with your partner being in a totally different state of the, of the country has to have thought about it. So, and look, personally me, uh, his manager obviously stated that there was just some initial talks, but it didn't go far. I actually don't have an issue with that. As a, I think as a professional footballer that I think he has every right to have a chat to whoever he wants initially just to scope out uh, what, what his options are. And he, he obviously found out what some options are and he chose to stay at Essendon and to be honest, uh, it kind of now I feel like it's a it's a, it's a dead subject. Uh, I guess the only angle that some fear is both the two guys, Joe and, and Fantasia, are actually leaders of the club. Uh, and the, the only part that concerns me is 12 months ago, these two guys are, are meeting in, in a cafe with Dylan Shields saying, you know, a sort of outlaying a five-year plan and with the future of the club and now you've suddenly got one saying I'm nominating to go to the Sydney I'm out of here and one just checking his options so that's the only concern I think internally that I would want the club to just make sure they're on top of that yeah no I think that uh with Raz it's it's just like really interesting the way too it was and I totally agree with you I want to say as well like I don't care if you know, if Joe wants to leave because he's pissed about the way that his injury was handled, because he's, uh, you know, just sick of the Melbourne bubble, like whatever he, whatever he wants to do, cool. You know, Essendon should do whatever's best for them. I don't have a problem with the Doro, you know, continuing to drive a hard bargain. I think he should. And I think that if Sydney doesn't come to the table, then, you know, realistically, Joe should probably stay at Essendon. Uh, yeah. I do think that I would like the Doro to like, if he can make a move, if Sydney comes correct, like, yeah, make the move. But, like, with Raz particularly, it was just so fascinating that basically every media member talked about this is done. Yeah. He's leaving. Like, it, it, was not, it was not if, it was when he announces. And the last we heard from Raz himself was literally – him coming out of, I think it was at Tullamarine, like walking out of the front doors and, you know, coming up to media and saying, no, I'll be here next year. So I understand that things can change. And I understand that there's sourcing. It's like, look, I go through this. Like, this is my job. Like, I, I know yeah. what I'm, like, I, this is one of those cases where I actually do know what I speak, right? Like, <laughs> if, if I got something so 
drastically wrong like this, where the club isn't even feeling like it has to come out and make a statement about Raz staying. Like, you damn well better believe that, like, I would be, like, having a conversation with my editor where my editor is, like, chewing my ass out. You know what I mean? uh, About this whole thing. Mate, I I, I 100% agree with you on this one. Is that I've got a really simplistic approach to the Raz situation specifically, right? There are the Australian media... I will not lump you into anywhere near these guys, but the Australian football reporting media, if they, if there is a, a pathway to a story, not even if there's a story that they've fact-checked or that they've got some inside information on, if there is a pathway to a story, they'll report on it. It is all about, over here, it is all about, we said it first, even if it didn't turn out to be true. Now, during the saga, the oxygen thief that is Caroline Wilson from The Age, she came out and said that half the Essendon list was going to leave. Right? She, Everybody's leaving. They're all going to go. They're all going to break their contracts because they can, because it's a breach of, of whatever it is. And she sacked the coach. And yeah, they're going to sack the coach. Everybody's history. And none of that happened. <laughs> On the front page of the Herald Sun here, which is the main um, newspaper in Melbourne, there was AOD 9604 as a, as a, a full-page block heading that apparently Essendon players have taken that. Not a single person did. This is the thing over here is that when Raz, when Raz jumped on a plane and went back to Port Adelaide, or somebody from Port Adelaide mentions Raz's name, instantly he's going to Port Adelaide. But I've got a really simplistic approach for this, and, and I think it's the reason why the Bombers haven't made a statement on Raz. The man has a two-year contract with the Bombers, he is a contracted footballer. He himself walked down the steps at Tullamarine and said it is laughable that I'm going to, to go away, uh, to leave the club. The boys and I think it is laughable. And from that very moment, he hasn't said another word on the subject. Now, I have no doubt that his management, which are the people that are, that are employed to make sure he is getting the best deal he can for his services, I have absolutely no doubt that they spoke to Port Adelaide. No doubt whatsoever. Now, I got an argument on this is that it's not, even if you are a contracted player and the contracts in the AFL at the moment mean absolutely nothing. As for, clearly, if, if you've, you've got a contract, it doesn't matter. You can, just, you can break it, right? Um, but I'd love to see that the other way. I'd love to see um, Essendon now say to Arazi, no, I wouldn't, this is, I don't mean this, but I'd like to see an AFL club say that to one of their players that have a contract, oh, by the way, I know you've got a two-year contract, but we're, a tra- we're about to trade you to the Gold Coast. That would, that would go down like a ton of bricks, right? But Raz, Raz is an Essendon footballer. He said he's an Essendon footballer. And until anybody heard anything else, he remained an Essendon footballer. I know Dyson caught up with him for a coffee, probably just to give him a, a pat on the head and said, mate, you, you, you're still with us. We're all good. Yeah, okay, great. And then we're moving on. So I think I agree with what Scott said. The, the players and Raz, you, you couldn't, come out in front of everybody as your own footballer and say you're staying and then be serious about leaving but then come back to the club and and be in the locker room with the boys it wouldn't it wouldn't go down so i have no doubt whatsoever that the boys well and truly understood what raz was doing and they knew he was coming back um or they they didn't know anything uh, to the contrary but I, I have no doubt that the management, it's not called show friends, it's called show business. And if Port Adelaide were going to back a truckload of money up to him, then he absolutely had to entertain the idea. 
And he did. He entertained the idea. He made a decision about his football um, future and he's staying at Essendon. I think it's a, that's the more sort of simplistic way of looking at it rather than, oh, he's he, the players might not like him because he's looked at Port Adelaide. No, he, he didn't look at Port Adelaide. His management did. He would be silly not to consider what they had. He considered it and he's staying. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's absolutely the best way to put it. And yeah, no, I yeah, I think that it was just very bizarre the way the entire thing was covered. And the last question I have for you guys is just because like, I think that this is the last time we'll be able to talk about this, obviously, before it happens. I mean, like, what do you think the deal is for Joe if it gets done? <laughs> Good question. Look, I think, I think they'll... I just sense there'll be a bit of a twist here. To like, I, I generally think it's 50-50 whether Joe stays or goes. I think pick five will be in play, but I, can, I, I can't help think there's a player after that. And, and whether it's from Sydney or whether uh, uh, another team gets involved. Um, and, and like, a, you know, I'll give you an example. There's... there's uh, big Peter Wright uh, at two meter Peter, two meter Peter, basically at, at the uh, the Suns. That's you know half ruck, really good forward, really good prospect. You know that kind of scenario where you try and get another team involved and say, hey, we can give you this. So I, I, I generally, it, it's I feel like there's just so many scenarios that could happen. I think pick five is is kind of the the most common view of makes what makes sense. But then after that. I would suggest Essendon want a, a an over 22-aged, fully ready-to-go player to go straight into their list so they can continue on their momentum, sort of some momentum. I, I, I slightly differ from that thought, Sam. And I reckon, I reckon the current... How dare you? <laughs> I reckon the current distance between Essendon and Sydney is that is Dodoro driving a hard bargain, right? Because six foot five mobile full forwards do not come around very often. Um, you probably know, but Joe Danaher was like pick number 10. I think we got him at pick Father 10, father-son, yeah. Father son, yeah. Um, but every, every every draft pundit said that he would have been pick number one because six foot five mobile forwards like that come around very, very rarely. I bet you what Dodoro has done, knowing how, how hard-nosed he is, is that there's a kid in full forward for um, for Sydney called, uh, I think he got Blakely. father-son as well, um, called Blakey. Um, Blakely yep. or Blakey, yeah, Blakey. Blakey. I reckon we've yeah, I, Nick Blakey, yeah, yeah. I would go pick nine and Blakey. Let Sydney <laughs> keep their five. Let them keep their 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 half decent pick at five. I'll take nine and Blakey. Thank you very much. Because if you've seen Blakey pick uh, play, he can seriously play. That gives us a, a player n- not super duper at the top of his powers, but it gives us a player now and into the future, and it gives us um, pick nine as well. So I'd. I think Scotty's Scotty's point is good in that if we can if we can prize Jeremy Cameron out of G, of GWS because Sydney Carlton and Gold Coast do a, a four and Sydney and Essendon do a five team enormous trade then that's great but it's going to be very difficult I think I think the player is the thing that that Dodoro wants because he said uh, Joe's irreplaceable. You can't replace him, and I think that's the the method. He, the, sorry, the the message he's giving to other clubs is that sure we want a high draft pick, fine, but we want a ready player to be able to replace him at full forward. Yeah, he, he made uh, just quickly, Sam. He he makes Dodoro makes a very fair comment that the the top ten players in this draft, none of them are full, are tall forwards. So he makes a very right. good he makes a very good point to say. 
I can get, yeah, pick five and nine, but it, look, it's not going to help my situation because I can't get a forward out of it. Um, so I, 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 I sense he needs a ready-made player. So here's why I think that, you know, in terms of value, right, like five and nine is right, because, you know, I'm sure you guys probably have a better idea of what the, like, offer is on the table for Joe at Sydney. But in terms of the way that the compensation system works in the AFL, like if he is within the top 5% of any player uh, 25 or older in terms of compensation, then Essendon just gets a first-round pick value compensation so it'll be yeah uh you know i'm not telling you guys anything you don't know but uh it'll be just the pick right after their own in the draft and if you feel like i do that losing joe probably pushes us a little bit more behind the eight ball in terms of value uh if we don't trade him out and he doesn't play up standard for us next year we're probably sitting somewhere you know like six seven eight like i don't know if we're a finals team next year without joe so we're already getting a pick that is worth that is a top 10 pick right yeah if we're moving joe a year early we should be getting something in value commensurate with that year on his contract i agree so whenever whenever i see these like reporters come out and they're like oh joe danaher like if they lose him they'll be losing him for pick you know, 18 to 30 next year, I think was one that I saw, or they'll be, you know, they, they won't get any value. I'm like, no, that the leverage there is wrong. Like that, that's just not right. Essendon actually does hold a reasonable uh, amount of compensation leverage here. Yeah. And this is the time to use it. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? And I, yeah, I mean, like if you go get a Peter Wright from Gold Coast, you go get, you know, like I brought up Shacky West Co- or uh, yep. Bulldogs in case, you know, they're, uh, looking to move a different direction right like i agree with you guys like i would want to go get a tall and get a high draft pick like that that's the thing that makes the most sense to me yeah and if it's honestly you mentioned blakey grant like if it i would take blakey and like a lower pick even yeah i I agree yeah no that's why i went nine like let's see me give him a give him a little carrot give him a a little tickle say here's your five you're not we're not gonna rip everything out of you here's your pick five take a good midfielder um, but we, we get nine and, or we, we get Blakey and I don't know, give us something in 20, trade some players, give us pick 20 something. I'd be, I'd be very happy with that. I mean, that, that gets us, that gets us a half decent player at 20. Um, and the, the guy that we need now to replace Joe. And again, he's this, he's not the same kind of player. He's about a foot and a half shorter than Joe, but, um, he's the same kind of lead up mobile forward that we should be looking to replace Joe with um, because Carousella is the kind of guy that moves the ball well and does that thing that you very intelligently pointed out is get the players to drop their eyes between 20 and 40 uh, metres out. So um, I think, yeah, I I, I don't reckon Sydney will let him go because he's a father-son and he's a seriously good prospect. But my, my... my thoughts on what Dodoro is saying is that he's he's setting Joe's price very very intelligently in my opinion. Like he's he's using words like irreplaceable and and things like that. And he is. I mean, I don't Sydney cannot think they're just going to pinch a six foot five mobile bloke that can kick seventy meters 
who on his day you can't get close to punching the ball when he's going for a mark, right? Like he's they come around once every yeah. Shrove Tuesday, and you you have to get value for the kid. And and Sydney, you've got to pay overs. You want to pinch a bloke from a club, even if he wants to go. You want to pinch a bloke for a club from a club. You have to pay overs. And five and nine is it, or nine and Blakey? That's overs. Um, unfortunately, Sydney, you've yeah. got to do that. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Sydney moving guys like Blakey, Hewitt, Heaney, like any of those guys. Like, I just don't. Yeah. If I was them, I wouldn't. I wouldn't move those guys. I'd be like, look, he's going to come at the end of the year in 2020 anyway. So, for us, like the value equation has to be right too. So, I, I've yeah, no, it's a weird, yeah. it's a weird negotiation. I've no doubt McCartan and Reed's been been mentioned, and I'm not sure if we're going to bite on those two. No, no, I don't want to. I also don't want people at the the players at the Essendon Footy Club thinking that this is a thing they can do moving forward. Unfortunately, I think Dodoro needs to drive a hard bargain for the Essendon Football Club as well and send a really good message to the playing group as well that, sure, you could. this is the thing about AFL contracts nowadays. You, you want to nominate to go to wherever the hell you want to go to with a year or two left on your contract. Apparently, you can get that thing done today. But don't think for a split second Essendon's going to just take a busted-assed Ben Reid or whoever Reed they've got up there, um, the busted ass Reed and McCartan, who's done pretty close to bugger all, um, just for, for a six foot five all Australian. That's that's not the way it's going to work. And if if the player thinks they're going to get away with that, then no, 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 mate, you can come back and play with us next year or you can hang out in Bendigo and Churnside Park and Sandringham and play uh, VFL and we'll, we'll deal with a priority pick at the end of next year. So I hope Dodoro's doing that as well. Now then, moving from the AFL to a subject that I'm quite sure that you guys that you know more about than we do, and that is the NBA. Are you there, Sam? A little bit. Oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. Now, okay, I, I, I've got a, I've got a like a part sort of teasing cheeky comment. So I'm listening to your podcast, right? Um, and you're discussing your top players under 23. Now. Did I hear right? And, I, and and we can have a fun debate because I probably actually end up agree- agreeing with you on the show. But so you've got Luka Doncic ahead of Ben Simmons. What? <laughs> I do. Uh, Luka is a stud that can actually shoot now. That that's like a big, a big part of the NBA now is being able to shoot. Scoring. Um, what do you want to score for, Sam? <laughs> Yeah, it's honestly just the shooting. Like, if you think Ben's going to shoot it, uh, then you should have Ben ahead of Doncic. You should have Ben just about only on the level with Zion Williamson in terms of young players in the NBA. Now, uh, with Ben, we've seen now in the past couple of playoff series that you can take him out of the offensive game just because he is – Yeah, yeah, yeah a total non-threat from distance. So I think Ben's really hard. Like, I'm still very in on Ben. I think he's going to be a top 15 player in the league. But if he can shoot it, he's legit, like, an MVP candidate. Like, that's, like, the standard we're at, basically. Like, if Ben learns to shoot even, like, a 20-footer or can shoot a catch-and-shoot three, this guy's going to be a perennial MVP candidate for, you know, 10 years. Uh, It's just he's got to get there. Nice. I, I've just been watching some footage of, of Ben the last couple of weeks, and obviously, it's been probably to a uh, 
way over kind of hyped his 3.0 and we've all I think the whole country's seen it 50 times which it seems weird that you're watching an all-star we're celebrating an all-star hitting a three-pointer for the first time it does I still got to get my head around that concept uh but I must admit as much as technically his form shooting is still not perfect it looked it looked like form that was a bit more able to be repeatable than it ever has been. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, he's certainly getting better at shooting. Like, it's not like, like you hear all these, you know, all this stuff about like Ben, like not working and Ben being all about Ben and all this stuff. I, I don't think that's true. I think Ben does work really hard at his game. I think he's in the gym constantly and likes to go out afterward. Like it's totally fine to do that, I think. And um, yeah, I think that, or I have hopes that he's going to shoot it. And I think he's made growth. Uh, but until he starts making threes at a 35% clip on, you know, a couple attempts a game, it's just, he's just nowhere near that level yet. So it's hard to be like, Oh yeah, I have confidence in this. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I, why, just for maybe people that don't quite understand the nuances of it, like three pointers are great and they're worth three points and stuff. Why is Ben Simmons, not just sort of for his personal gain, but why is Ben Simmons' ability to hit 35% of his threes important for Philadelphia? So in terms of his own game, it would just open up his ability to drive, first and foremost. We've seen uh, how incredible his vision is, how he sees the floor, uh, how he is capable of uh, just hitting teammates, uh, you know, once he gets into the lane with ease, uh, with both hands. He's obviously ambidextrous. Like, he's just... Uh, Jimmy Butler sign and trade as uh, go out and sign Al Horford as well, who can knock down shots from distance, but they don't really have that on ball creator where at the end of games, you can trust this dude to go get us a shot. And, Ben is the most likely guy to become that person. He's honestly for Philadelphia to win a title. He probably does have to become that person unless they're going to be like the 2004 Pistons defensively and just like blow everyone away defensively. So it's important for his game in terms of taking that leap. It's important for the Sixers as they take that leap from like sort of kind of contender to like this year, I will probably bet on them to win the title. Like they're, I think eight to one right now to win the title. Seriously, so Philly, like, are eight, uh, will... Philly are eight to one to win the title. Yeah. I mean, in America, they're eight to one. I know that. Damn. So like, yeah, like, I, like I'm in on the Sixers this year. They're, they've gone, they've made that leap to genuine contender. Yeah. And, Honestly, whether or not they win or not is a lot of it is incumbent upon Ben becoming an offensive player that works in the postseason. I actually found it uh, that that three point shot. I actually found the lead up to that quite interesting because Embiid to the left of him. I mean, at one stage he's almost imploring him to just shoot it, and and just the the, the hug afterwards. Uh, I couldn't help thinking, like, I'm a mad Sixers fan, right? So this is what I, I just read into it. That's like, Embiid needs this more than anyone because that spacing that he's craving for, 
that, that that that's what that's what's going to separate I think the Bucks and Sixers because I I think the Bucks are equally deserved to be favorites if not equal favorites uh, with the Sixers yep. and and I think that Ben shot uh, Embiid's reaction actually was quite telling. He's he's pre-shot action and it's basically imploring him to shoot it, and then his his relief and his celebration afterwards is uh, it, it's felt like it, it, I know I'm probably it's a, a, I'm probably over analyzing it too much, but I sense there's uh, Embiid there's a, um, a a man who's just just desperate for his point guard to get get into that aspect of the game so he can get into an MVP type caliber player, which I think he can be if Ben creates his can get his shot going. Yeah, I think that that's definitely right. Like Joel, I think right now is 14 to one to an MVP and I've thought about betting on that too. Um, so I'm right there with you. I, honestly though, I do think part of it is like these two guys have now grown up together in their you know late teens and early 20s with the Sixers like I think that Joel understands that this has been a monkey on Ben's back now for two years really maybe you know a year because he didn't make any in the first year people didn't really care and then last year is when people started to get on him a little bit yeah I think that Joel gets it you know like he, he wants Ben to be able to shoot not only for the team but just because like you know, on a personal, from a personal standpoint, like I think Joel just understands, like this is something that matters to him. This is something that means a lot to him. Yeah, exactly. Can I just? Uh, you obviously follow college basketball. One person just following the Sixers, Matisse Thybulle. He is a seriously good defensive <laughs> defender. I've only seen, you know, we get, I get, I get to stream their scrimmage in their their first game against the what's the name from China, but he is. He is uh, uh, just has a natural gift of, of defense. Oh, he's ridiculous. I mean, he's been one of the best defenders in college basketball the last couple of years. Um, you know, Washington, when he was in Washington, he played in a zone defense. So it was like kind of hard to tell if he was going to immediately be able to translate those skills. But he's just so ridiculous off ball. He knows exactly how to read uh, just where his – opponent is going what's happening on the weak side of the floor he's going to be someone that they can bring off the bench to play uh day one i think and play 15 20 minutes a night his thing is that you know offensively he shoots kind of a hard ball um yeah it doesn't look great coming out of his hand so i think that's the that's the big concern like what do you do with him offensively uh does he have the game to not be like just a total uh disaster on offense can i also ask um uh, obviously, over here you get a lot of uh, Clippers, Lakers kind of hype, uh, and I've kind of been telling a few people here you you know you're not giving the Utah Jazz even close enough respect about what they've done in the off season. Uh, what are your thoughts? So I think Utah is like a very real chance to win the West in the regular season, if only because I would imagine the Lakers will probably chill on LeBron's usage. Like they won't go crazy with it. Like he might play 65 games. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, certainly uh, Paul George probably isn't going to be ready for the start of the season. Kawhi Leonard, the last couple, you know, last year played 65 games. He's big into load management, right? Like he doesn't want to have to deal with an 82 game stretch because 
winning MVP, like just isn't super important to him. Um, so I think the jazz have a very real chance to win the West, uh, in the regular season. I have some concerns about them in the playoffs, just from a shot creation perspective. Uh, Donovan Mitchell would have to take a significant leap there. I think also, you know, their best player is Rudy Gobert and Rudy has, been shown to be a little bit less effective in the playoffs just because he struggles to move his feet on the perimeter against the best perimeter players so I I would say that like I think Utah is third in terms of being able to win the title behind the Clippers and Lakers but yeah Utah is like certainly in the mix they're a very real contender mate Zion now incredible looking specimen of a human he Dead set, like he's up to what, 280 pounds? Total or two, freak show. Total utter freak show of a human. Like if Charles Barkley could jump out of the gym, like you've, you've got Zion, Will, Zion Williamson. Is he going to be, is he going to live up to the hype? Is he going to be that good? Yeah, I think it depends on like what the hype is. Like, are you at, like, is, and not you, I just mean like in general, like if people are expecting him to be, you know, the, the absolute best player in the NBA guaranteed, then that's a really hard standard to live up to. I don't know. Like, I think he's going to be a hall of famer. Like, I think he's going to be just unbelievable. Uh, I think he's, you know, he, if the standard is LeBron, then, you know, I, I would say the odds are he doesn't, but if the standard is uh, just being an absolutely unbelievable player who can play on both ends of the floor, whose feel for the game is just drastically underrated. He is, He's a basketball player that is also an athlete. He is not just some explosive 280-pound dude that can jump out of the gym. Like, he makes exceptional passes in the open floor. Um, You know, he can get to his spot whenever he wants because he's a really good ball handler. Like, he is – everything about him in terms of the hype is real. It's just where he goes from here and where he develops. Like th- there's not a, there's not a question about like how his skill set right now, the, or like, you know, transitions to the NBA. I think he'll be like, you know, a guy that averages 18 points and nine rebounds this year as a 19 yeah. year old, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but you know, where it goes from here, I think is just up to him. And he's a hard worker. Like I would, I would hope that he'll continue to add to his jump shot, continue to, uh, you know, maybe not uh, adventure as much defensively as he does. But, yeah, I think he's an absolute superstar uh, coming up. Well, look, uh, we're about to sort of uh, get close to wrapping this up, but I, I can't leave you without giving you what your kind of predictions that are, say, for East-West Conference uh, winners and then uh, and then eventual NBA championship winner. Who, who have you got? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Clippers in the West. Uh, I am going to go with the Sixers in the East. And then in terms of the title, I am going to go with the Clippers. I really just buy into their depth. I buy into their ability to uh, create shots on the wing with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I think they have some interior defenders. I think they have flexibility to make a trade if necessary. I yeah. really buy their perimeter defense. Like I, I just really think that the Clippers, assuming health, and, you know, we should not assume that given that Paul George's shoulder is a little bit yeah. messed up right now. And Kawhi Leonard is, you know, he has 
everything to do with the quad injury that happened and led to his eventual eventual departure from San Antonio. Nonetheless, if they stay healthy, I think they're the best team, and I think they're the one that I would pick to win the title. But don't sleep on the Sixers. I'm dead serious, not just because you're a fan. I think they are really, really good. No, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty realistic when it comes to Sixers. I, I, I generally have them 50-50 with the Bucks, uh, and I'm trying to I go back and forth. Uh, but I really like their defense. Like I, for me, it's like as much as teams, I guess, talked about as far as shot creation and everything like that. The the Sixers defense is is insane from from probably about one to six or seven, uh, so that's that's where I think their strength is and I don't know how, don't know I still kind of not sure how that's going to play off in a in a finals um, whether they actually do need to get genuine scorers but and then where where does Ben look you know in in three or four months so it, there's a there's still some questions to be answered with the Sixers. If those questions are if those questions are answered positively, then I've I have them really up there with the Clippers to have a, a pretty tight series. If they're not answered and Ben goes into his shell a bit and there's a few similar patterns, then I, I think they will struggle again to to probably beat the Bucks in the, in a Eastern Conference Final. That's kind of how I view the world. Well, here, here's what I'll say too. I think that they're uh, kind of tailor-made to cause issues for Giannis in the playoffs just because they're so big. They have so many different bodies they can throw at them. They're long. Um, and if you kind of shut down Giannis in the playoffs, it's a little bit more difficult for the Bucks to create offense just because Eric Bledsoe has, has had his struggles in the playoffs. Chris Middleton's a guy that's more of a shooter, attack a closeout guy than like a genuine creator. So, yeah, no, I, I think that genuinely the Sixers are in a really good spot. Like yeah. they're, they're a tough team. They're, they're really tough out. And just a side note, uh, keep an eye out for uh, our mate Josh Green, who's uh, starting in Arizona. Uh, he, he's college uh, season soon, so uh, I think I'll be watching his progress just to see how um, how he develops uh, because uh, I, I think he's got a, a world of talent, um, but I'll be interested to see how he progresses with Arizona. Yeah, I've seen him quite a bit. Uh, he's got to shoot it. That's the, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. number one thing that he's got to do is shoot it. Um, I, I don't really like the shot mechanics. I think it comes out super flat. Yeah. Uh, I hope that he has worked on that. I saw him last in April, I think. So uh, I hope he's worked on that over the summer and uh, can become a shooter. Cause, yeah, like you said, he's really, uh, really quite interesting as an athlete and as a guy that plays really, really hard. Yeah, exactly. Sam, we can't thank you enough. It's been an utmost pleasure, mate. Um, we just—it's been brilliant. Uh, your knowledge of both AFL and NBA is amazing. Amazing. That uh, you're probably one of the most knowledgeable guests we've had on both on both uh, on both leagues. So uh, absolutely, we'll uh, we'll be shooting you out an Australian passport in the not too distant future. <laughs> Um, with, with an Essendon membership, uh, you've well and truly earned it. I think if uh, Australian immigrations were on the line now, all you need to know, um, when if you want to become an Australian citizen, is that Don Bradman. You don't even know to know who he is. Don Bradman's batting average was ninety nine point nine four. If you answer all those questions about the <laughs> AFL and that one question, they'll give you an Aussie passport. No problems at all. I haven't been able to get into cricket. I've tried. Like I've watched a couple. I've not been able to it's get into one. cricket yeah, at all. It's a hard one. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, thanks. Seriously, guys, feel free to reach out anytime. Um, always available. Yeah, well, look, we definitely won't make it a, a once and own once and that's it. We'd we'd love to keep in contact um, uh, over the, I guess, over the 
the course of next season and just see just catch up with you see how you how you seeing things are going um and i'm sure the audience will love that mate it'll be, it'll be very interesting next year because i um uh i'm doing a bit of a bucket list thing next year over in the united states of america um i'm going to be walking the appalachian trail um, starting in March uh, of next year. So I've already got your podcast um, on the downloads for uh, those boring times halfway through Virginia. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, so, yeah, you would, absolutely. I think it'd be great uh, if you can uh, come on next year a lot more with Scotty. We're going to be doing some catch-ups with me on the trail, which is going to be reasonably difficult to do. But, mate, if we could get you back more as a guest next year, I would absolutely love it. Yeah, totally in, guys. Feel free to reach out. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sam. Have a great night. I think it's your Friday night, so have a great night. I actually uh, just realised the Sixers is about to start, so I might even watch a bit of Sixers basketball over here. Nice. That is terrific. That is, that's the dream right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. And that was Sam Vecini. Just an awesome pleasure. It's Scotty, seriously, though. <laughs> He his seriously knowledge, knows his stuff. Like his knowledge of the AFL for a bloke whose job he's he's supposed to know the NBA backwards, and clearly he does. He does right? Yes, like clearly he does. But for a bloke like that to be quoting the amount of goals and Ed Norton or whatever his disposal name, disposal efficiencies, disposal efficiencies, and like absolute pleasure to talk to. And a bloke that is seriously into the AFL. One of the most educated people in football we've spoken to. And I, I'm not even saying that to like, be funny. Australian it's... former coaches and journalists and all sorts of stuff. Like, I'll put that bloke up against any of them, to be quite frank. <laughs> and great guy. Like, just like he, I've been texting him back and forth during, during the week and... Just lovely guy. Uh, really look forward to getting to know him more. Actually, oh man, we, we've we absolutely have to get that bloke back we on have, the podcast. But for me, his two passions is my AFL and, and NBA. So yeah, love it. He's a, he's a, he'd be my best friend if I was in America. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So, so thank yeah. you very much again, Sam. Thank uh, you very much, Sam. Look, this. it's been an hour and twenty, so we'll just quickly wrap it up. This thank you so nuts. much, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of a 10 second sort of wobbly uh, connection. Uh, we were connecting through Skype, so please just forgive that. Yes, you'll probably notice that halfway through the, the call dropped out. We did our best to make it kind of seamless, but uh, you might notice a bit of a weirdness uh, in the middle there, but uh, we apologize for that. But thanks for everyone, and we'll talk to you very soon just after the trade week commences. Yes, indeed. Catch you later, guys. Catch you.